welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Ephesians chapter 6, we've uh, come to the uh, closing section of this letter from um, the Apostle, and uh, he, he closes with a warning to us. Let's read together here from uh, verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand, uh, to stand firm. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning uh, for just the privilege we have as your children to be able to be together, to, to meet as a, the, the local body of Christ. And we pray that you would uh, uh, help us this morning as we consider your word and the needs of our own lives and the struggle that's, uh, struggles that we face as believers. I pray this morning that we not only be informed of uh, the truths from your word, but that, uh, that we would be challenged and motivated uh, to trust you and to live for you. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Paul, he gives us this warning and this admonition to be strong in the Lord and to put on the whole armor of God and to stand, and to stand firm. And the reason for this warning is the fact that we have an enemy and that we are in a, a spiritual battle. And so this morning, I, I'd like for us uh, to take uh, some time to think about the nature of this battle and the enemy uh, that we have as believers. Now, this is uh, one of those topics that uh, uh, there's, there's a tendency to be on one extreme or the other. Uh, on the one hand, there's the tendency to just ignore completely the fact that we have a spiritual enemy. And that uh, by the very fact that we belong to Christ, uh, we have entered into this spiritual battle and we have an enemy who uh, is over this kingdom of darkness. Well, and there's even some who would deny the very existence of Satan. They, they just want to um, pretend that uh, that's really not, not real. Well, on the other, the other extreme, on the other hand, is there are many who, in their zeal to, uh, to follow the Lord and to, um, uh, to, to fight this battle, have uh, become preoccupied with Satan and, and the things of Satan and just um, gone really beyond Scripture, gone beyond what Scripture has commanded of us. And... Uh, and in this, this preoccupation, the way they, they approach this battle is, is not so much like a spiritual battle in dependence on the Lord, and more like a mystical battle. 
where you need to um, learn the right techniques, say the right words. And uh, those kinds of um, teachings that you can be delivered or enabled to be delivered or able to have a victory in your Christian life, you, you have to learn how to confront uh, the devil or the demons. And, and so this morning, I want us to think about, about that and we're going to continue in the following weeks to um, look at this whole topic and what the Lord wants of us as believers and expects of us and what is a healthy or a biblical approach to this spiritual uh, battle that we are in as believers. I can remember back in Cape Town and our ministry then was totally in, in Afrikaans and uh, which we had you know, advertisements was out in the paper in different places and um, a lady called me one, one day and uh, she wanted to know if uh, we did uh, had, a, had a, a deliverance ministry. <laughs> she was talking in Afrikaans, so it took me just a little bit to figure out what she was talking about. <laughs> but I say, the It clicked with me that what uh, what she's really uh, wanting uh, was somebody to come and deliver her brother uh, from a demon of drunkenness. Uh, in other words, the demon that was causing her brother to be a drunkard. And, and I tried to explain to this lady that, uh, yes, um, we, we do have a, a ministry of deliverance, but our ministry is to lead people to Christ. Because he's really our only hope of deliverance out Amen. of sin, life of sin. And, uh, but that was really not what she had in mind. She wasn't really had in mind that her her brother was was also wanting this deliverance. But she was wanting something for him and wanting somebody to magically, I would say, mystically, to pray over her and, and over him and to deliver him. And and so many on the extreme of this topic have taken that approach to life in general. Rather than doing the hard work as a believer of sanctification, of mortifying the flesh, of putting on Christ's likeness, of being in the Word, of study, of application of the Word. Instead of, instead of, of taking that approach to Christianity, the approach becomes uh, any problems that I have is really outside of me. It's it's, it's Satan or demons that have come upon me and oppressed me in such a way that I, I need to be delivered from that. And I need to find somebody that can pray for me and, uh, and help me uh, with, with this problem I'm having. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having a problem if it wasn't for this attack upon me. And so as believers, we need to know that in Christ, we already have the victory over Satan, uh, over sin, and ultimately over death. We have, we have this victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the Lord. He is the sovereign. He's in control. The Lord is never wringing his hands wondering what Satan's going to do next. 
or if he's going to mess up you know God's plan God as as the sovereign of the universe has allowed Satan to to function and to carry out his program uh, in opposition to God and we certainly can't fully understand all that God's doing but we know from scripture that that is the case uh, otherwise God would not be God and scripture would be a lie if God is not in control and we see many places in scripture where God even uses Satan and Satan's evil schemes against God against God's people God often uses for his own purposes and so ultimately God will have the victory he already has the victory but ultimately he will be seen we don't always see the victory now sometimes it seems like all we see is the destruction and the evil in this world that is um, ultimately um, following the course that Satan has planned and is scheming and so as believers in Christ we because we're in him we share with him in in the victory that he has won and ultimately we will we will um, uh, live in the reality of that victory and the absence of of sin and evil and uh, we will be glorified and, 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 and be with the Lord forever and so one day we'll realize that but in the meantime we must share with Christ in the battle this battle that takes place every day uh, 24 7 in the world around us this unseen world of the, of the spiritual world that uh, that we live in or that that is around us we live in the physical world but the spiritual world is here as well and and the scripture only really gives us glimpses into this world to make us aware of it we're not to be preoccupied with it we're not to fear it but we are to recognize, as we see from this passage, that we have an enemy. And uh, that we should take this enemy seriously. And it should cause us to stay close to Christ. Uh, realizing as we drift away from the Lord, that we are entering into the territory of the enemy. And so this is, uh, this is the admonition. We are to follow Christ. Uh, he goes before us into this spiritual battle. He's already gone before us as the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we can have every confidence in him and every confidence in the word of God and every confidence that we can live a victorious Christian life because of not ourselves, but because of the Lord and he is with us and so paul admonishes us to be strong not in our own strength but what do you say but in the strength of the lord be strong in the strength of the lord and stand firm we, we are to, we are to stand firm against the temptations and the agenda of the devil uh, we're we are to stand firm against his lies and his deceptions against his uh, attack upon the church uh, we we don't fight for victory but as believers we fight from victory Amen. the victory that we have in Christ and it makes a big difference in the way that we approach this battle the confidence that we can have in Christ 
and uh, the provisions that the Lord has made for us so that we can live a life that's pleasing to Him. Well, as you think about this, this topic, we need, to, we need to go back and think about how this battle, this conflict began. Uh, we, we know that this battle is really not about us. Although we're involved in the battle, it's, it's not about us. It's a battle between God and Satan. And mankind is involved in this battle on either side of this uh, conflict. Um, the battle is the Lord's, but we have our part in it. Amen. Uh, because we belong to the body of Christ. And God has a place for us. He wants us to live for Him and serve Him. He wants us to grow in our likeness to Christ. And part of that growth involves conflict this battle. Many, many times people become a believer and their expectation is wrong that they're going to be free of trouble now. That now that they've become a Christian then they kind of you know get on the easy street and now everything's going to go going to go much better. Well there, there many things do go better. Uh, you're no longer in the bondage to sin that you were before. But in, in many ways, this, this path of following Christ is full of trouble, full of temptations, full of conflict with, uh, with the enemies, spiritual enemies that are around us and many times are manifested in the world. We see, we see them manifested in what's happening around us, the philosophy of the world and the things that, uh, that are around us. And so as we look at, um, we go back to the book of Genesis, we realize that uh, uh, there was a beginning to this conflict. Uh, originally, uh, Satan was a created being, an angelic being, uh, the Bible calls it a cherub. And, uh, but at some point, before the chapter 3 of Genesis, uh, Satan, this, um, this high-ranking angelic being, turned uh, against God. He, he, uh, and he was cast out of his place in heaven. And, and so we don't know a lot of detail about that, uh, but we know that um, uh, that, that happened. We, we have uh, a passage like Ezekiel chapter 28, if you want to look there, I want to read some verses from there. In Ezekiel chapter 28, the first 10 verses is addressed to the prince of uh, Tyre, kingdom of Tyre that day. And uh, it is a, a, a lament for, about this condition of, the, of, the, of the, the, the destruction of the city and, and the spiritual decline and so forth. But then when you get to Verse 11, it's, a, it's like a, a different um, word that came to the prophet from the Lord, a lament over the king of Tyre. And uh, the prince, the king, they're both really the, the same person, but you can see a change in the wording of this section in beginning of verse 11. It's still talking about the, Tyre, Tyre, the king of Tyre and the kingdom, but the language you can see goes beyond 
of this human king. And most, uh, most theologians agree that uh, it's, uh, it, it's addressing the, this power behind the king, this, this demon or this Satan, uh, this angelic being originally, now called Satan, that is really functioning behind, the force behind the king. And as you, as you think about evil in the world, it's not just men that are a problem in kingdoms and, and rulers and uh, governments and people that we work with or we go to school with. They, they are a problem to us, but the real problem is Satan and his demons behind that evil. You know, not every person is, uh, is demon-possessed that's evil. But they are certainly influenced by this system, by this influence of Satan in the world. And so I believe this is what we're seeing in the beginning of verse 11, is an address to this person behind the king. He's still talking to the king, but the language seems to go beyond that. Notice in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, it's Ezekiel, it says, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And every precious stone was your covering, and sardis, and topaz, and diamond, and beryl, and onyx, and jasper, and, and sapphire, and emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And on that day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on that holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you, and you sinned. As, and so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed or, or banished you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. And he continues there, and the language seems to, to go more... To the, the, the immediate situation of the, the kingdom of Tyre. But you see here, uh, at the heart of the problem of this, this king, and Satan behind the king is pride. Seems to be the, the primary um, motivating uh, factor in this rebellion of Satan was pride. And, it, and this is confirmed by in the passage that. Uh, Daniel's been working through it, 1 Timothy 3, in verse 6, where Paul there admonishes uh, Timothy not to put a new convert into the leadership of the church as an elder. And he says, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And, and so we, we don't know a lot of the details, but we know at the, at the, at the heart of this problem was pride. And pride is, a, is definitely a problem for us as well, isn't it? We, we are all prone 
to this and must guard our hearts against it. It's, it's one of the ways in which Satan will tempt us and try to lead us astray is through our pride. Well, another passage in Isaiah chapter 14, and this is similar, it's, this time it's, it's, it's a language uh, against the king of Babylon. And it's not as clear in this passage, but many, many theologians have seen in the section beginning in verse 12 down through verse 15, language that also goes beyond the king of Babylon and uh, speaks to the heart of, um, of the Satan behind the king. Let me just read for you those few verses. Verse 12, this is Isaiah 14, verse 12. How, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, and he lists here five I wills. Again, you see the the pride of the king of Babylon and the pride behind this, this Satan behind him. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. And uh, this uh, judgment that's pronounced here will be the ultimate end of Satan. You know, in the book of Revelation, uh, verse 20, or chapter 20, that his end will be, he'll be cast into the lake of fire and judgment. But until then, until that time, the Lord returns, establishes his kingdom, uh, Satan will be released, the book of Revelation tells us momentarily, to lead a revolt, the final revolt against God, and then he will be, be condemned. He will be judged and cast into the lake of fire. But until then, until that time, we have an adversary. And the church uh, has at, had an adversary, Satan, and his demons who uh, make it their mission to destroy us, to destroy our testimony. As believers, uh, Satan can't uh, take our salvation. He can't uh, cause us to, to lose our salvation or, or to, to, um, to be cast out Amen. of, of uh, a relationship with God. But uh, Satan, through his influences in the world, can certainly ruin us, can he? He, he can ruin he can ruin our testimony. He can ru ruin our effectiveness for the Lord. And uh, he can make us miserable if we'll, if we'll listen to his lies and follow his scheming. This adversary is uh, referred to in various ways in the scripture, many different titles or different uh, descriptions. Um, this word, uh, Satan, it means adversary or accuser. He's also called the devil or the evil one, those being the, the second and third most used uh, titles or descriptions of, um, of Satan. And when Satan was cast out of his place in heaven, uh, he turns his focus against man. He was created there in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, he comes to Eve, and you know the, you know the, 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 the event, 
And uh, he comes to her, though, in the form of a serpent. In other words, he comes in disguise. Uh, he comes as, a, as one of the animals that, uh, that God had created. And there's a lot there we don't understand as well. I mean, could, could uh, serpents talk back then? Was that normal? Uh, why was Eve not surprised by this talking serpent? I don't know. But uh, a lot of questions that come to your mind like that. But in reality, uh, Satan is coming uh, incognito. He's, he, he's uh, fulfilling his description of the, the wiles or the schemes of the devil. And uh, verse 1 we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And so Satan, we know as we, we get into the, the further revelation of Scripture and into the New Testament, we know that this serpent was indeed um, being used by Satan, and uh, and so he was uh, he was bringing this attack upon Eve, and he's why is he doing that? Why is why is Satan concerned about uh, Adam and Eve, and uh, especially Eve? Why does he come to her? And why is he attacking her? And, and, and the answer is simple: that he is trying to defeat. God, or at least he's trying to destroy the work of God. He's trying to establish his own kingdom in opposition to God. The book of Revelation, again, verse or chapter 12, says that uh, when he was cast out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him, and uh, which would become the demons that follow him and serve him. I don't know how many a third is, but... Uh, Scripture speaks of angels being myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. And so there is this great army, this great force uh, that serves Satan. And uh, although Scripture speaks of some of those being bound up, um, there's, a, there's a vast number that do his bidding in this world. And our enemies of all that belongs to the Lord. And so he was he was cast out. And this is uh, this is what Ephesians chapter six and verse twelve is talking about. It's talking about this structure, this this organized um, force of evil in the world. And notice in chapter six verse twelve, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, um, man is not really where our struggle is at. We're, we, although we have trouble, we, we have enemies, people. Uh, sometimes we think all of our troubles you know, is because of politics, or all of our troubles because of the government, or all of our troubles because of our boss, or, or my spouse, or my whatever. But Paul's leading us to see that our real struggle is against rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now he's using words here that are political words, and they're used to speak of, of governments. 
But he's not talking about flesh and blood governments. He's not talking about human governments. He's talking about these governments, these powers, and these rulers uh, on the spiritual realm, or the ungodly spiritual realm, the demonic realm. And uh, we see by that that Satan is organized. He's not just haphazardly going about uh, trying to oppose God. He is he's very organized. He's organized structure just like there is with the angelic beings of God. Um, there is this also this organization with Satan. If you go back to Genesis 3, verse 15, we see some good news there at the, at, at the, in the midst of uh, the, the fall and the and the judgment or the curse that's pronounced. And as part of that um, curse that's pronounced, there's a ray of hope. Verse 15. And it's, it's referred to in the theological terms as the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel. Because in that we see a glimpse of what would become the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm sure Adam and Eve could not see and understand <coughs> what that all meant, but it did give them a hope of a seed, singular, that would come and crush the head of the serpent. Notice he says there in that verse, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, uh, the, the serpent, will or shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And here we see this first language of the reality of a battle, of a conflict that exists in the world. And uh, the seed of the woman would ultimately be uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes beyond the, uh, the her son's that would be born, children that would be born. And uh, we see through the Old Testament scriptures this division of the line of people who followed God and a division of people who rejected God. And, uh, and we see God focusing down, we get to chapter 12, focusing down on Abraham. And giving a promise through him again of the seed that would come would be a, a blessing to the whole world and uh, and ultimately would uh, be revealed as the Lord Jesus Christ the promised one the Messiah and so we we see here that uh, this this prophecy says that that Satan would uh, would bruise or strike the heel of uh, the seed that would come. Uh, but he, speaking of Christ, would crush the head of the serpent. And that, and that is uh, referring to the cross. What, what Christ did on the cross in dying for us, won for us who are in Christ the victory over Satan, over sin and death, so that uh, we might uh, be able to know God live for him and one day be with him it also reveals the fact that there is this division there's these people in the world that 
would, in a spiritual sense, become sons of Satan. And those that would become sons of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. And so the whole world is divided in, across these battle lines. Uh, there is this conflict. Uh, Jesus speaks of this reality in John chapter 8. In that chapter in John, there's this conflict with the religious rulers, the Jewish religious rulers. They're they're uh, talking to Christ and they're accusing Christ and they don't believe Christ. They're rejecting his what he's saying. They even accusing him of having a demon because of things he's saying. These men were physical descendants of Abraham, and they took pride in the fact that they were sons of Abraham. But Jesus says to them that their father was in fact the devil. And so although they have a physical lineage of being in this chosen people uh, through Abraham, they're in fact, um, in a spiritual sense, sons of the devil. And he explains in verse 44, he makes this shocking statement to them. No wonder they tried to kill him. In John 8, verse 44, he says, You are of your father, the devil, and you will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus is telling these men that you are just like your father. You, you speak lies and you believe lies. You don't believe me because you don't belong to God. You don't listen to God, therefore you don't listen to me. And so he draws the battle lines between who belongs to God and who belongs to Satan or the devil. And so everyone has a part in this battle. Either you belong to God or you belong to the devil. And the scripture could be more clear on this battle. Now, unbelievers around us, they, they're probably not aware of this battle. They, they would deny that they belong to the devil. But in fact, they do. They, they, they're under the power and the rule of this evil one. If you remember back to chapter 2 in Ephesians, this is what, um, what we read there in the first few verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, in other words, before they were saved, this is who you were, this is how you lived, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's a reference to Satan and his rule over this, um, this cosmos, this world that we live in. He says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, another way of saying sons of the devil, uh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And there again, we see this division. And uh, it is by the grace of God that we've been delivered out of this domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. And so this morning, it begs the question, are you on God's side? And if you are, are you living like you're on God's side? 
You, do you know you're on God's side? Are you following this banner of Christ? He is, uh, he is our Lord, and He's all that matters. He's all that matters. And sometimes it's easy for us to get our focus off of that reality that we're in this battle, and Christ has gone before us, and we're following Him, and we're living for Him. And if we fail, if we succumb to our, our flesh, if we turn away from the truth, uh, Satan is winning a little victory in this battle. He's already a defeated foe, but he has these battles and he has these victories along the way. And when a believer in Christ fails, they bring dishonor upon the name of Christ. Dishonor upon the name of the church. And, and it's, a, it's a victory for Satan. And so we're admonished that we would stand fast, not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord, and that we might be strong in Him. Well, John, in his uh, 1 John, brings it down to a very practical level, this division between light and darkness, between God and Satan. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, he writes, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And so as, as John writes about practicing righteousness, he's talking about your life. In other words, he's not talking about perfection, which none of us attain, or even close to perfection, like Christ is perfect. He's the only, the only one who's perfect. But what he's talking about is the pattern of our life. Is the pattern of our life one of righteousness, of following after the Lord. He, he says, whoever practices righteousness, or as best as your life, then you're righteous. As he is righteous. He says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this, but this, it is evidence, I'm sorry, by this it is evidence who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does the not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his neighbor. So John for John is very simple. You live for God, you belong to God. If you don't live for God, if you don't, if you don't love your brother in Christ, if there's no evidences of faith in your life, then you belong to the devil. And so for him, there wasn't kind of sitting on the fence thing. I'm kind of in, I'm kind of out. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe. No, it's, it's very clear. And we see that kind of language in Scripture because there's this battle. And there's this enemy in the world. And we need to stand firm against this enemy. We need to be aware of who we are and who we're fighting for and what this battle is about. Uh, if you go back to, to Ephesians 6, you see there he says to us, that we would that we should put on the whole armor of God that we'd be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, that that's the word uh, 
methodia. And, and it's, uh, it's very similar to the author gospel word metodia. And, and, and it means methods. Uh, it is the methods or the schemes of the devil. And in this word is the, is the idea of craftiness or deceit. And you see that is, is the main characteristic of uh, Satan, his scheming, his craftiness, he's deceitful, he's a, he, he lies, he leads astray, he presents sin as something attractive, and, but hiding the reality of, of, of where it takes you and what it, what it really is. And so we see this, uh, we see this as a work of, of the devil and his demons. Satan, uh, from the very beginning, we see in the Old Testament, he wanted to destroy the nation of Israel because through this nation, God had given his promise of the Messiah. And so Satan would at all costs try to, to stop this one that would come. And so he, he turns his attack against the nation of Israel. And uh, if it were not for the intervention of God, he would have. Time and time again, God intervenes on behalf of this nation in His grace Amen. and brings them out of, out of ultimate failure and destruction. And as you even think of the nation uh, of Israel, even today, uh, they are a miracle in the fact that they still exist. Amen. Um, and uh, as the as, as dispensational a view of the scripture is that there is still a plan of God in his um, in the future for the nation as a people and uh, the, the tribulation period is a is a period that's described as Jacob's trouble it's uh, the Gentiles are certainly caught up in it but it is focused on Jacob the troubling of Jacob and we also see in the millennial kingdom, most of the prophecies relate to the nation and fulfillment of what was promised to the nation of Israel. And so we see Satan attack, attacks upon uh, this people. And uh, Satan would like to destroy them. They were, they were attacked both from without, uh, other nations coming against them. Uh, there's also the attacks from within. You think about the nation itself and, and the immorality and the failures from within the nation itself. And so the, Satan is coming and attacking in every way to try to turn the people of God away from God. Uh, think about the, the idolatry. Right? Attacked from without, also from within. And during the, the time of the divided nations, you see the failure again and again of the people to not follow God, to, to become assimilated into the thinking of the world around them, taking on the idols, the false gods of the nations around them, trying to be like the other nations, all of those things at the heart of that is just working of Satan. And as we see as Christ ultimately came, as God planned, Satan failed in stopping uh, you see his you see his focus intensified around the, around Christ and trying to kill Christ. Even you remember through Herod when he was born, uh, killing all the babies in that in that region. 
with the hope of killing uh, Christ, this, this king that had come. And we see that as Christ began his ministry, the temptations by Satan himself, the 40 days of temptation were, uh, were Satan failed. He could not, he could not tempt, he could not trick, he could not deceive Christ. And Christ countered his attacks with the word of God. Amen. And, and because of who he was, he, he could not fail. But Satan tried. He tried and tried and tried and failed. And we see also the attacks upon Christ from without. You think about the enemies that Christ had, the religious rulers we, we just read about. And we see the force behind them being Satan trying to bring an end to Christ. And um, ultimately Christ would go to the cross and uh, we see Satan there working through the system, working through Judas. And no doubt Satan thought he had won. Christ is dead. But in that same event, he strikes the, the heel of Christ. Christ destroys his power and holds upon us and provides salvation. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, showing that Satan and death had no power over him. Amen. What a victory we have in Christ. That's who we are following. That's who we're living for. When you think about this world that we live in, we see this same attack from Satan, this attack from without, and this attack from within. The world out there, he's attacking, but he's also attacking right here from within my own heart, and within the body of Christ. He would lead us astray. He would uh, cause us to fail him. 1 John 5, verse 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan is, uh, has this power, and God has allowed it for this time and space that we're in. This world, is, he refers to this whole world as the world system that stands in opposition to God and his will and his word. And so it's no, it should be no surprise to us as the world the, the world around us and the thinking of the world is to attack Christ and to and, and to promote evil and everything that's in opposition to holiness and the truth of God. It, it is it is this power of the working of the evil one. There's also this attack from within. You think of the of the attacks of, upon the church through history. The attacks of, of immorality from within and the worldliness from within the church. Think about the the, the immorality or, or the own, your own worldliness that's in your heart. Uh, we must stand. We must fight against uh, this pervasive influence of the world around us that wants to, wants to creep into our minds and into our hearts. And so there's one area of the battle that is just the greatest is in our minds and our thinking. You want to think about how to uh, how to how to fight against this uh, evil power. Think about how you think. Think about your mind. 
Romans 12, verse 2 says, this admonition from Paul to the believers there, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the to conformity, the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we as believers must guard our thinking by, by knowing God's word and allowing the word of God to transform us, to change us, to, uh, to enable us to think biblically, to think uh, right thoughts. See, Satan is, uh, is, is, is content to, for us to be religious. He's even content for us to go to church so long as, as we reject Christ. And it's certainly one of the areas that, um, that Satan works from without and from within is in the person of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, who he is and what he's done, person and work. And in these two areas, we must be particularly careful because Satan would, would destroy these works. And let me just close with, um, with this admonition, this warning that we get from Scripture. You see, the, the person of Christ is speaking about who he is. Uh, and the Scripture has, has revealed him to be uh, part of the triunity of God. He is fully God. He's the eternal Son of God, co-equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And this is who He is. And the work, about the person and the work of Christ, the work of Christ is speaking primarily of His redemptive work. He came to earth as the God-man. Fully God and fully man. And lived a, a perfect sinless life and died for us in our place so that by faith in him we could be forgiven in our, of, of our sins and we could have uh, eternal life in Christ. This is the one and only gospel. And Satan would have us believe that there are other gospels or we can amend the gospel to be a little bit different. But they're all lies of Satan. When Paul's Writing Galatians 1, he was dealing with this issue of the Judaizers who would uh, bring elements of the law into the gospel of grace. And the thinking was probably something like, well, you, can, you certainly must believe in Christ and have faith in Christ, but you must also uh, you know, keep the law. You must also do this. You must also do that if you want to be right with God. Um, and we see different elements of that. The cults would, would, um, would, would see that influence of a mixture of works and grace. And Paul warns, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him, deserting Christ, who called you into the grace of Christ, or, or deserting God, who called you into the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so we as believers must be alert to this reality. This is something that's, that Satan is trying to do against the church. We would bring in uh, and, and, and open our minds to think that we're being loving 
to accept other ideas about Christ. You see, that's, that's the subtlety of, of how Satan works. He, you, you need to be broad-minded. You need to be loving. You need to be gracious and, and realize that the, you know, the, the, the Mormons also were seeking after God. They, they used the word Allah, but that just means God. And so, so you, you know, they have their prophet, and they even believe in, in Jesus. And, and we're, after all, we're all, we're all going the same way. And so there's a subtlety. And if we're not careful, if we don't stay close to God's word, we will believe the lie. We will be deceived. And many, many churches have gone that route to become a, an all-inclusive, don't talk about sin too much or judgment, and just love everybody and believe every lie of the devil. So we must be alert and stand firm upon the ground that Christ is one for us. And so when Paul says, stand, that's what we're doing. We're standing on holy ground. We're standing on the ground of truth that has been delivered to us. We're standing upon the victory that we have in Christ. Well, I want to come back to this next time and continue our thoughts. But I hope this morning you've been made more aware of this battle. The spiritual battle. Paul doesn't introduce this topic to make us afraid. He doesn't want us to be fearful and you know looking over our shoulder. You know, is the devil there or Satan there? And, and and be troubled. He doesn't want us to go to the extreme of of delving into um, all the working of Satan and witchcraft and devilry and. And all of that, he doesn't want us to become preoccupied in our minds and certainly not to go the route of some to, to, to delve into the idolatry of witchcraft and the uh, sorcery and, and all of the evils associated with that. But God wants us to be aware of the enemy. Amen. And he, in it, instead of making us afraid, it should drive us to Christ. It should drive us to the Word of God where we have boldness and confidence knowing that greater is He who is in us than He that is in the world. Amen? Father, we thank You for the truth from Your Word. We thank You for the challenge from Your Word that we have before us this morning as believers. Many times, Father, we just want to float along on a bed of ease in our Christian life. and We don't want to think about difficulty or toil. We don't want to think about struggles. But Lord, this is the life that you called us to as your children. And there's a battle to be fought. And I pray that we'd be fighting it, Father. We'd be fighting it in our homes against the influences of evil. We'd be fighting it in the church against false teaching and every corruption that Satan would bring. I pray that we'd be fighting it in our own hearts and minds against the thinking of the world in the influence of the world i pray father we might stand we might stand firm in the strength that you've given us in the equipment the provisions the spirit of god we pray in jesus name amen